What's it like to be a conservative inside the media room at the Public Order Emergency Commission? Well, friends, we've got a woman on the inside who's got many secrets to share. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed and you're watching The Gun Show. My friend and colleague Celine Gallus left behind her life in Calgary a few weeks ago to basically relocate to Ottawa, where she's been reporting on the Public Order Emergency Commission, something we're calling the Trucker Commission here at Rebel News. The commission itself is a fail-safe built into the Emergencies Act to make sure that no tyrannical buffoon ever invokes a civil liberties suspending wartime law on peaceful political dissidents who are embarrassing said buffoon in the nation's capital. But that's, of course, exactly what Justin Trudeau did with the Convoy for Freedom. And now there has to be a full accounting to prove the justification for invoking the law. And frankly, it's not going all that well for the government. You can see and support all of our coverage at truckercommission.com. The commission is teeming with snickering mainstream journalists who are happy to push their paymaster's narrative that the bouncy castles and hot tubs of the convoy brought by thousands of truckers who were on the streets of Ottawa for nearly four weeks are somehow domestic terrorists. And we know what those journalists are saying officially. It's in their articles. But what are they like when they think nobody's watching? Are they worse? They're often, but not always, snickering and mocking and just plain rude. And we know this because we have rebel news journalists also at the commission reporting the other side of the story. So Celine Gallus joins me tonight in an interview we recorded yesterday morning from the Rebel News Live satellite studio, the Airbnb, up the road from the commission to say what it's like in the room with Justin Trudeau's bought and paid for corporate media. Check it out. So joining me now from the Rebel News Satellite HQ in Ottawa is one of my favorite people, one of the hardest working new journalists in Canada, Celine Gallus. Celine, thanks so much for coming on the show. You're on a break from the Public Order Emergency Commission, what we're calling the Trucker Commission. You can see all of Celine's work at truckercommission.com. As I said, we're on a lunch break, so we're going to make this tight and tidy because Celine also still has to eat and then run down the street and get back to the commission. Celine, I wanted to ask you, because you've been in there, this is your second, I think, full week of being inside the commission Mm -hmm. building. You're with the other journalists. What's the feel in the room with the other journalists. I like being in rooms with other journalists because I feel like my mere presence (laughs) makes them uncomfortable. What's it like? Are they listening or can, are they the kind of people that you can tell where they stand just by watching them and their body language? Absolutely. You can. It's very apparent. Um, And it was particularly very apparent when the convoy, um, the, the representative, let's say the volunteers, there's a lot of stigma against, you know, labeling people as, um, as leaders when there was no leaders of this convoy, but primarily when they were protesting or sorry, when they were uh, giving their testimonies, people would start laughing in the room or if someone was especially emotional, then they would just laugh or make catty comments. And 
gossip in the room. Like it was very, I, I was surprised. There's, there's two people from the commission that sit at the back of the room. And I, I, I suppose they should be there to kind of monitor that the, the rules and regulations of the room in terms of keeping volume down, you know, phone volume low, et cetera, are being met. Um, but no one has said anything. Um, and they definitely know who we are. So you're right. I do like working in that room because when we walk in the rebel crew, everyone kind of just, you know, they do their turns and I do the hair flip and then I just take my seat and I start working. So it's very good uh, in that regard, but it is apparent, Sheila, you can definitely see where they stand and you can see the consistent narrative uh, that they choose to project. There's been some recent, uh, I mean, you've seen the, the CTV uh, articles that have been released, et cetera, and, and their narrative is now changing uh, because everything in the commission that's coming out points to the fact that these were not misogynist domestic terrorists with this crazy agenda uh, to, you know, hold a insurrection in the capital of Canada. But in fact, they were just a bunch of people fed up with the unjust COVID mandates and restrictions. And now they're starting to be like, yeah, you know, it seems like due to all the testimonies, we probably shouldn't have uh, made fun of them and and called them terrorists and followed in the steps of Premier or uh, pardon me, Prime Minister Trudeau. So that's about it from that perspective. You know, just to go back a second, you belong in that room more than those other journalists do. Sure, they're the fancy mainstream journalists, but they get all their money from Justin Trudeau. That's how they work. That's how they get paid. Um, mm -hmm. But you went on the convoy all the way to Ottawa. You and Mocha followed the convoy. You were on the ground there. You were reporting from inside of the convoy. Some of my favorite footage from the convoy is yours. Um, Alexa's is sort of some of the most shocking, but yours was the most fun. You were dancing in the streets with the, the convoyers. I guess it's sort of hard not to get caught up in it, but you belong in that room. And secondarily about your comments about, you know, Justin Trudeau labeling people misogynists and then the mainstream media following along, I would suggest that people snickering and laughing as a Métis grandmother testifies to just the sheer emotional and quite frankly, physical toll of spending 49 days in jail for being a part of the convoy. Those people are the misogynist racists, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, um, I think it's pretty apparent. There's a, uh, it's like, there's a, there's like this weird air of confusion in the room where, you know, I'm sitting there and I believe that we're all listening to the same testimonies, that we're all listening to the same truth, the grounded truth that is reality. And yet the differences in the reactions are just, it's, it's honestly appalling. Like there's two tables that, you know, we haven't claimed by any actual means of labeling it as our tables, but everybody sits primarily in the same place in the room. And you can see like we remain silent, like there's not much that we talk about, perhaps except for the instance that it is Miller time, of course, because <laughs> that's the time that we all look forward to. But sitting there and listening to these testimonies, you think, OK, yeah, we're all here. We're listening to the same thing. Everything's occurring at the same time. But all of a sudden the room will erupt in laughter because they'll start making fun of the people that, like you uh, premised, was Tamara giving her testimony, this this grandma that has stood up and become uh, the, the face of this movement, so to speak, and not self-proclaimed, but just as people have seen her to be. And uh, it's really gross. Um, for instance, 
uh, when we had that uh, commission, senior commission council lawyer that passed out the other day. Uh, we don't know the details of why, but I was in the room and I actually watched it happen. We had a, it was someone from mainstream media that ran into the room and it is uh, absolute no-no at all times. You do not pull your cell phone out and start trying to snap pictures at any time in the actual commission room. He was there with his phone up trying to get a shot. And immediately the, the security in the room was like, why, like, what are you doing? Why are you taking photos? Oh, oh I, I'm not, not taking photos of the body, nothing. So when we went back into the room, I piped up in front of everyone and I said, hey, just, just, just so that we're clear, you're not going to post any of those photos, right? And, you know, he looked a little bit embarrassed and he was like, oh, no, like, you know, I would never do that. And I said, well, then why were you trying to take photos? And he just laughed behind his mask. And um, that was pretty much the, the, the end of our interaction. But it just goes to show you that they're like, I didn't even tweet about it, Sheila, because it's, it's so personal. I didn't know yeah. what happened. I didn't know why he fell. And it was, my gosh, it was pretty emotional to see everyone in the room just, you know, hone in. It wasn't something that anyone expected to see. And his first instinct was to try and take a photo of it. It's so different from the journalism that we provide to people. Um, it's really shocking that they've been labeled as media. And that's what people have been led to believe is real media for all these years. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because when that happened, I thought, okay, well, I better quickly remind everybody that here at Rebel News, we care deeply about medical privacy. And so let's just tweet mm -hmm. what happened. Like, yes, a lawyer passed out. We don't know yeah. why. Frankly, it's none of our business and we're going to leave it alone. I sort of reminded yeah. everybody of that, but I didn't need to. <laughs> because yeah. you guys were all on the same page, unlike the ghoulish people over at the mainstream media who would trip over their grandma to take a picture of somebody having a medical crisis because they don't care about privacy. They don't respect privacy. And that's really been the story of the last two years is some people care about other people having medical privacy and some people are liberals. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it should just be a game. It's like, you know, pin the liberal in the room where he's going to be the person that is literally taking the steps to probably undermine your rights and freedoms or make fun of you yeah. or not take what you say seriously or make a joke out of, out of your ability to actually critically think about what's happening around you um, because he's so deeply involved in the narrative that he can't tell reality from the one that's been given to him. That's what I think. I think that the government has proposed a reality and people have unknowingly consented to that reality versus actual grounded truth. I mean, there's a lot of uh, stipulation about masks that's going around in Ontario right now. Unlike Alberta, like it's very new to me to have actually so many people in masks, like still people just wearing masks by themselves or in rooms, et cetera. But here there's a lot of talk about it. And um, I've seen a lot of stuff on the internet and on how many boxes of these masks does it say, you know, it will not prevent any respiratory uh, illnesses or diseases. Uh, some of them say will not protect against the spread of COVID-19, et cetera. And all these people are like, yeah, but masks, they're fantastic. And I just think like, again, it's like being in that room and, 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 and like trying to understand, like we're all in this reality, watching and listening the same thing. If I'm also capable of reading this box, um, I'm sure other people are as well. So what is the cognitive dissonance between some people that will literally go to the lengths of like screaming in your face, labeling you as a domestic terrorist, a misogynist, um, and all these other horrible things to 
actually defend a narrative that openly projects how false it is. Yeah, there's you're dealing with people who believe that there's such thing as my truth and your truth instead of just objective reality, <laughs> right. right? And so that yeah. the reality around them can bend specifically to their own feelings. Um, and it, that, I think, has really been the story of the other side of the convoy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like you see people just like speaking of the horrors of the idling trucks and but also simultaneously laughing as Tamara Leach testifies about being arrested, turning herself in, knowing that she could stay in jail for 49 days. That's, that's a joke to them, but honking my Lord, the phantom honking. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Um, but you know, like as we're recording this, we're recording this on Tuesday on a break from the commission and all day today Mm -hmm. so far, it's been RCMP commissioner, Brenda Lucky, who's been testifying and we've seen how the RCMP apparently were cut out of the intelligence reports that were headed to the PCO, so the Privy Council office. And I think I've been watching, maybe tell me if I'm reading the room wrong, but I think they did that because the RCMP were not going to say what the federal government needed them to say to invoke the Emergencies Act. So they just cut the RCMP out of it because Brenda Mm -hmm. Lucky, to her credit, and I hate saying that, has said repeatedly there were other tools left before you had to hit the nuclear button of the Emergencies Act. Yeah, I, me and Will, uh, William, we joke about it all the time that there's just this hot potato that gets thrown around the room and, and it's just a process of elimination here. You absolutely heard that correctly. Um, and it's come out in, in how many texts as well, though, that she is, there's definitely been some sort of not some sort, I would go on a limb here and just say an, an absolute breach in the, in the, there's a line that's been crossed between the federal government stepping into uh, police jurisdiction. And it's becoming more and more apparent because we're seeing texts from the different cabinet ministers that have, you know, made suggestions to, um, to Brenda Lucky. And she said in her testimony that, oh, yeah, well, even if they're giving suggestions, you know, it's not the same thing as uh, in any way, shape or form influencing um, because they're just suggestions at the end of the day when. I mean, I honestly think that there's something big that's going to happen today, like there's there's this undertone of intensity in the room. And uh, Brendan Miller, uh, counsel for the um, lawyer counsel for the for the convoy. He stood up and he made sure that um, the lawyer that's currently conducting um, her opening statements and making sure the story is straight, et cetera, um, had full time, had full time to go entirely through um, his line of questions and go through all of the evidence that he needed to go through. Because after uh, then it's uh, Tom Curry and then Brendan Miller is going to go. I seriously think something so substantial is going to happen today. Like everyone's just kind of like buzzing. Definitely, because there's so many cover-ups with this. Like, I don't feel bad. I don't. I think people, you know, you, you this is the bed that you've made, so now you must lay in it, so to speak. I, I think that should be the premise that everyone walks with, keeping in mind repercussions for the future, et cetera. But what's going to happen this afternoon, I think, is going to totally shatter any illusion. Um, and by the way, have you also noticed that she just she either has the the worst memory on this planet or she just, I don't know, it's selective memory or something, Sheila, but uh, 
What is in the drinking water in someone that has a basic information shouldn't be in the position that she's in. Yeah. What's in the drinking water in Ottawa where all the senior officials suddenly under scrutiny can't remember a damn thing. But we did see Justin Trudeau in an phone call readout with Doug Ford lamenting the fact that they could not pressure the police. Doug Ford, again, pains me to say it, but to his credit said, I can't, I can't pressure the OPP to do what you want them to do. And Trudeau sort of seemed taken aback by that because he does have a history Mm -hmm. of pressuring law enforcement officials to do what he wants. He did it with his uh, AG, Jody Wilson-Raybould. She she said no thanks. She would rather uh, set aside her promising career as a liberal cabinet minister to do the right thing. She and I probably disagree on 99% of everything, but ethical, ethical woman. And Brenda Lucky herself, we've seen that uh, she was pressured to release the models of illegal firearms used in the largest mass shooting in Canadian history for the explicit purpose of pushing ahead Justin Trudeau's gun control agenda. So she has been subject to political pressure from Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau has been putting political pressure on law enforcement officials all over the place. I'm supposed to believe now that he didn't try it. I think maybe he did. And when the fish weren't biting, he just went around them. And that's how he ended up with the emergency. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and it shows, too, that there was uh, there was an email between Commissioner Karik and Brenda Lucky, uh, where she explicitly said that she did not um, give any prior notice to the to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau on the plan that the RCMP, the OPP and the OPS had come up with in order to open a dialogue or some sort of vein for the protesters and the government to have conversation about negotiations. And that following day was when the Emergencies Act was invoked. You so know again, what? we see the same thing. It's crazy. It sounds like plausible deniability. At first, I thought, okay, well, the RCMP are being mm-hmm. cut out of this because they're not going to do what Justin Trudeau wants them to do. So basically, they're law enforcement shopping. They're going to the national security officials and getting their advice instead of going to the RCMP because the RCMP aren't going to do what we ask them to do. But I think now mm-hmm. there could... Oh, I sound like such a conspiracy theorist. I think Lucky didn't tell the feds about the plan so that the feds could say, we didn't know about the plan. We didn't think there was a plan, so we just went with the EA. Exactly. Well, really, I mean, I'm pretty sure that that's what everyone in the room is thinking about. So there's no qualms about being labeled as a conspiracy theorist here. It's very apparent. It's very apparent that there has been a huge overstepping from the federal government. And it's not just specific to Brenda Lucky's testimony. We even saw this from both deputy ministers to the the actual ministers of uh, transportation, um, in their testimonies yesterday, that was uh, Rob Stewart and Dominic Cohen, uh, I believe. Yeah. I can't pronounce his last name. Um, but they both said that, uh, you know, they did everything to actually negotiate with their own ministers about uh, doing anything except invoking the Emergencies Act. So it's it's right there, point blank. It's blatant at this point. And uh, we've we've really narrowed it down. Like it's been a long four weeks. I feel like I've been in Ottawa for like six months. <laughs> so I'm very eager to get down to the bottom of this because there's really all fingers are pointing to the the Liberal cab- uh, cabinet ministers and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Yeah, it's really that. It's really that, and it's they're overstepping. And yeah, these people said 
yes, I will do what you're telling me to do. But imagine also, you know, being in their positions. You want to keep your job. You want to keep your livelihood. At that time, we were living in this crazy era where you didn't see people's faces. You weren't allowed to go spend time with your friends, your family. Fast forward, and it's almost been a year. We take for granted, I think, a little bit about where we are here right now. Um, I've certainly allowed myself to let go of some of those pressures, but being here and seeing so many people in masks still, it, it kind of, it's reminiscent in the worst way possible, I tell you. You know, there are two Canadas. <laughs> you and I live in yeah. one and those people live in another. Um, and it's interesting because all the people with all of the relevant intelligence were saying one thing. And then Justin Trudeau's national security advisors were saying another thing. So OPP, uh, RCMP, CSIS especially. So like the spy agency was who had people embedded in the convoy said, yeah, there's no there's no terrorist threat here. Um, but Justin Trudeau's national security advisor all of a sudden started thinking there was and that and then that's when the EA got invoked. Um, but we've heard all yeah. along it was for tow trucks. And then now, <laughs> now we're hearing it's for some other reason because the province of Alberta said, no, you could just go actually buy your own tow trucks on Kijiji if you really needed tow trucks. Um, so then they have to pivot and come up with something different. And j- by the way, Justin Trudeau's national security advisor, that Jody lady, uh, she's the one who said, maybe we should talk about grabbing the kids from the convoy. She's the one behind that. So she's handpicked for the job for exactly those sorts of character flaws, I would say. Uh, Celine, I promised I promised I would cut it short because you have to eat and then run down the block to get back into the commission because we know big things are going to happen today. Um, I want to ask you, what's been the one thing that sort of one fact that came out at the commission that sort of caught you flat footed or shocked you or one of the things that you knew, but you were like, I I never imagined I would hear them say it. What's the one thing that was like the big light bulb for Celine? Like um, out of everyone's testimonies? Yeah. One thing that no one has admitted that the emergency act was anything but unnecessary. I thought for sure that there would be people hard, like testifying hard to defend that fact. They've defended every other thing possibly imaginable. Um, even to the point where they declare bouncy castles as being <laughs> like dangerous and absurd and crazy. And like, I believe it was a former chief of police, um, Ottawa police, uh, Peter Slowly, that said that the atmosphere in Ottawa within the first week was akin to a, um, a tinderbox waiting to yep. explode. My goodness, I was there then. So I can tell you that it wasn't. So Regardless of statements like that, and no matter how many times they can agree, oh, it was or wasn't a threat to national security, no one has said, yeah, it was necessary to invoke the Emergencies Act. No one has said it because that's a pretty condemning thing when you're in a room full of people that don't believe it either. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of people saying it was helpful. It made our jobs easier, but nobody has said we actually needed it. Um, You know, one of those things that the. um, National Security Advisor to Justin Trudeau said was um, that uh, basically it was a potential for violence on the ground. Yeah. With the heavy hand of police enforcement that came down on the convoy in the days after the invocation of the Emergencies Act, there was never even a window broken. There was no riot. You would think with hundreds, sometimes thousands of people in the street, if these people were going to be violent in the face of 
state violence. They would have been, but they weren't because they were there for peace. And I think that's the true test of this is that CSIS got it right. OPP got it right. RCMP got it right. Who knows what's going on with the OPS? I don't know if those guys can, you know, I'm not sure what the, what they're up to there, but oh, all, all all the other agencies got it right that there was no violence and no potential for violence, mm-hmm. um, because in the end there was no violence except at the hands of the state. Yep, hundred percent agreed. Um, I can't wait for the end of this. I can't wait <laughs> to see what happens. Really, there's no way that those those liberal cabinet members, uh, ministers, pardon me, will uh, will be able to come up with any excuses. Oh, they're like, there's no way they'll try. But oh, my gosh, unless someone grasps for like, you know, I have uh, actual mental issues, you know, don't lock me up for committing such a great crime against uh, Canadians in this country. I'm not sure what short of that they could have as a plausible excuse for acting like what I think. uh, I think that they were a bunch of monsters. I do those things. I do, too. Scaring parents. Locking up Tamara Leach, locking up people for mischief, um, yeah. spreading lies, spreading division, spreading hate. Yeah. Celine, I should let you go. You've got to go. Thank you so much for all your hard work that you're doing there. I know that you've taken weeks away from your family in your normal life to work literally dawn till dusk, later than dusk, frankly, <laughs> because you're on the live stream um, to, cover, yeah, to cover the Trucker Commission. Um, but it's just such valuable work. And uh, I know our viewers really appreciate it. They come to us because they know that they are really going to get the other side of the story instead of uh, what the bought and paid for corporate media snickering and laughing and mocking uh, what they provide. Absolutely. Every minute is worth it, even if it's Ottawa. So happy to provide that. <laughs> Even if it's Ottawa. Thanks. <laughs> Have a great day. Okay, you too. Bye. Well, we've come to the portion of the show where I welcome your viewer feedback. You see, unlike the mainstream media who are just so happy to snatch your money from your pocket and never hear from you again, we actually do care about what you think about the work that we're doing here at Rebel News. It's one of the reasons that I give out my email address at the end of every show. It's Sheila at rebelnews.com. Put gun show letters in the subject line, G-U-N-N. That way it's easy for me to find because I do get, I'll be quite honest with you, hundreds of emails every single day. Yes, every single day. But also, don't hesitate to leave a comment on Rumble or even on the censorship platform of YouTube because sometimes I go looking over there. Now, this week's letter comes to us from Alina Novak, and she actually doesn't have a question or comment about the show, but she's got a question for me as an expert on all things Albertan, and it's one of the things I love to talk about. I love Alberta, and I love telling you how great it is. She says... Hi, Sheila. I'm in Ontario. Bless your heart. My husband and I are thinking of moving to Alberta. Well, you know what? Lots of people have moved to Alberta this last little bit, including people who work for Rebel News. A lot of our Calgary team are refugees from Doug Ford's Ontario. Alina says, since you were born there, which area would you recommend we move to? I'm thinking of some rural community, small town where I can have my own garden, but not far from a city 
to come to once a week for groceries, etc. I love nature and hiking and backpacking and canoeing. I'm looking forward to your response. Thank you, Alina. You know, Alina, I feel like you just described exactly where I live. Now, I don't like to tell people exactly where I live, so I'm not going to do that, but you're going to get a, a range. I live northeast of Edmonton, and it's close enough that if I have to go to Edmonton, I can go to Edmonton and it doesn't uh, take a whole day. But I'm also relatively close to some of the suburban communities that have all the same services that they have in the big city of Edmonton. So I don't actually have to go to Edmonton unless it's for work. In fact, my kid goes to school in one of the suburban communities. It's that close and convenient. But I also live next door to Elk Island Park, which is a large national park where you can hike and backpack and run and canoe and geocache and enjoy nature as God intended it. So, I mean, not only am I a proponent of Alberta, but I love exactly where I live here on the family farm. But I think you would do well to just move anywhere in Alberta, where you can find a bargain on a house, where the community seems like a good fit. You know, our friend Chris Sims from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, she recently relocated her family from British Columbia to Southern Alberta, and she seems to really be loving it. It doesn't matter what our government tries to do, the people are more free. Your neighbors care about freedom. And we care about not discriminating against our friends and neighbors for their medical choices. As uh, my friend Kian Simone, our chief documentary filmmaker, describes Alberta, he describes us as ungovernable in that we are linked to our communities, linked to our families, but you're not going to tell us what to do. So if that's you, Welcome to your new home, Alina. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next weekend. Remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. <laughs>